Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of our Season Gaming Conversations. I'll be your host tonight, Ainsley Bowden, and today we're going to be talking about subscription game services, uh, things like Xbox Game Pass, PS Now, Jump, and uh, EA and Origin Access. And uh, we're going to be talking about all the details of those programs, what we think of them, and what we think it means for the future of the video game industry. So I'm joined by Bert Sines and Jordan Simmons. Guys, Hello. how you doing? How's it going? Hey, everybody. And uh, so I think what we'll do is I'll start by just kind of highlighting uh, the subscription services that are out there right now and some of the real high-level details about them, and then we'll uh, we'll get to the topics uh, on each one of those. So just going kind of down the list of the ones that are popular right now. So you, on the Xbox, you have Game Pass, and that runs you uh, $9.99 a month. It currently has somewhere around 120 games. And what's unique about it is that it's um, they add games every month, and you download them to your hard drive as if you own them. So if you're a member of Game Pass, you can pick any of those games, download them, play them, just as if you had bought the digital license. On the PlayStation side, they have PS Now. So that is a streaming service. Um, it's $9.99 for the first month, but then $19.99 monthly after that, or you can pay an annual fee of $100, $99.99. Uh, and the difference there is that there's actually over 500 games that Sony offers on that service, but uh, you do stream them, and the PlayStation 4 catalog is very small. They only just recently added PS4 games. And when you do stream them, um, they run in 720p rather than kind of the full fidelity that we, you would get if you own the game. Uh, one neat feature about it is that you can, however, use PS Now on PC. Uh, a new indie service just kind of came out, and their name is Jump. And it's going to be focusing on indie games, and it's going to be only on PC for the time being. So right now they have a catalog of about 60 to 70 games, looking to add 6 to 10 games monthly. And that's going to run $9.99 a month as well. And they're going for the uh, full official launch later this year. And then lastly, uh, it's not really a full game subscription service, but we wanted to talk about it anyway. And that's Electronic Arts uh, offers EA or Origin Access, depending on whether you're on the Xbox or PC. And that actually runs $29.99 annually, or $4.99 a month. And that uh, allows you a discount on all electronic arts games of 10%. And it also uh, does things like gives you early access uh, to games by a few days before they release. And they have a thing called The Vault, where they put some of their older games that you can then download and play freely as if you own it as well, similar to uh, what Game Pass does. So, guys, I know I ran through those kind of quickly. Um, but I think what we'll do is we'll just ask a few questions um, I'll ask a few questions to each of you about them and just get your thoughts. So basically right now, let's start by saying, do uh, do either of you currently subscribe to any or all of these services? And if you do, kind of which ones and what are your general thoughts about them? So uh, Jordan, you want to kick us off? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, you know, currently right now, I, I actually do not subscribe to any of those services. Uh, I've done Gamefly in the past, um, a number of years ago, um, probably when uh, before streaming really sort of got very popular um but eventually I, I even stopped doing gamefly at this point so i actually um am a subscriber to game pass for xbox i'm not a subscriber to psn now uh because a lot of the stuff is a little bit older than for my tastes and i am an ea access uh, subscriber as well and that's saved a lot of money on things to jordan's point i am also um a gamefly subscriber for the newer games that i don't want to purchase right off the bat but um, that's more physical versus download um and they one thing i'll add quickly is they do have a streaming service that is more available for tvs and you can actually use your amazon fire stick um, i'll touch more on that a little bit later but we're not going to touch too much on it now because it's not necessarily your official uh, streaming sites like some of the other things are 
So, a few of them. so if you are, uh, uh, you said you're a member of uh, Game Pass and EA Access. So, what are your thoughts on each one of those then? So, Game Pass has been pretty interesting because a lot of the games that I didn't play at launch are available for free um, or part of the subscription, not necessarily for free. But they're the library has been pretty good, and they're adding more games monthly. And even I've seen some that are not coming monthly that are, are showing up pretty good. I like it a lot because I get the full um, game um, and not some kind of streaming service. And you can download it; comes full with achievements and everything. And once you finish it, you can either delete it or you can do whatever you want with it on your hard drive. Um, EA Access, I've been a huge fan of because of the games that are still pretty modern um, you get in the vaults. So the most recent ones that are pretty big and still trade in for a good amount if you were into the used game trade and stuff is Battlefield 1 and Titanfall 2, and those are available for you. So just those two make up for the cost of the $29.99 um, for the entire year. If you like sports games like Madden, NHL, those are our favorite games here at SG. Um, you know, but you know, you can definitely get those part of the vault as well. So your FIFA, Madden, um, NBA Live soon to be. And then the other cool thing about EA Access that I like is you get the game early. So what is it? Uh, Battlefront coming up. How I can't remember how early you get up. I believe you get it five it, days early. It's usually five days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And you also get trials for games too. So let's say you don't want to buy it, um, you get usually what is a ten-hour trial for the game um, without having to pre-order it, without having to purchase it. So you get the full game ten hours ahead of time. Play as much as you want, and then once your ten hours is up, it's over, and then you can still get it from a discount digitally if you want, or you can go buy it physical somewhere. So I've I've been a big fan of this stuff for the for the most part. Um, I think a lot of the, the stuff's going to be evolving to this in a certain aspect. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, so just to kind of add here, so I'm actually a subscriber of uh, Game Pass and EA Access as well. Um, I'm thinking about subscribing to Jump. I did get an invitation to jump in on that beta, no pun intended. intended. Um, but yeah, Game Pass has been uh, Game Pass has been pretty cool. Um, I like that they're adding games monthly. Uh, very few games have left the service so far, though. That will, you know, Microsoft has said that'll happen on occasion. Um, but it has allowed me to download and play some games that I wouldn't have otherwise. In fact, just the other day, I was playing Mad Max, which I hadn't tried before. And uh, you know, it's a mix of 360 and Xbox One titles. It'll be interesting to see with the uh, original Xbox backwards compatibility coming up later this fall, if they start to add those titles to it as well, which means you'll kind of get a, a sample of the whole Xbox catalog uh, for $10 a month, which is pretty neat. Um, EA Access, you kind of uh, touched on most of the good points there. So you get the early access, you get game trials, and you get 10% off of um, of the games and anything relating to um, download content or expansions as well, which is kind of a nice bonus. But your point about the early access is uh, and trials is really neat too. So for a game like NHL, which I buy annually, um, I get to play it you know, five days early, which means I get to get in there and uh, in the EA Sports Hockey League, get to create my team and get everything set up uh, you know, early before my friends get it, which is um, kind of neat because it allows... Uh, you know, me to do that and get a sample of the game ahead of time. So, yeah, I, I, I really enjoy them. I, I have no um, kind of qualms about uh, Game Pass or EA Access. I haven't tried Jump yet, so hopefully I can report back on that in the near future. <clears throat> so, you know, looking at um, what TV has become in terms of Netflix and, you know, goes without saying, right, Amazon and HBO Go and Hulu and all these subscription services. And especially now, uh, after it's been a few years, you have Netflix having just a wealth of unique content that you can only get on Netflix and you have Amazon originals 
And so to kind of get all of these shows, if you like specific shows, you have to subscribe to that single uh, subscription service. Um, do you think that subscription services are going to go that way in the gaming industry? You know, do you think that this is just the start and that, uh, you know, five, three, five, seven years from now, we're going to see several of these subscription services? Or do you think uh, kind of Microsoft and Sony in particular in the console market will uh, kind of try to group them up as much as possible and not allow, you know, having multiple on each platform. What do you think about that, Jordan? Um, I, I, I do believe that uh, there's going to be more of these services that do pop up. Um, I mean, we were you know, all doing some research earlier and there's a number of services that are out there that, you know, to be quite honest, we haven't seen or heard any much in the way of advertising. I didn't even know that they existed. I think these services are are here to stay um, because they really don't cost these publishers any real money. Um, I mean, they're simply providing access to parts of their catalog for a, a fee that's you know under normal circumstances would just sit there, these games would just sit there anyway. So ninety nine percent of the stuff is automated. There's very little account management on their part. Um, the money that they're making is is actually going to be gravy. So I can see that there's you know once they get the infrastructure and the account management and you know the servers and everything set up properly. Um, I, I can see, you know, where this is very lucrative, easy to run business that uh, provides them a, an added revenue stream. Um, the only concern that I would I would have, of course, you know, would be, you know, you know, a fracturing of the market or oversaturation, you know, of these services. Because when you have, I guess you could say too much of a good thing, uh, it, it can kind of confuse consumers. Um, you know, they don't know which one it is that uh, they want to join. Uh, some of these games, some of these platforms have the same games on them. Some of these platforms don't have some of the game, same games on them. So, you know, I don't necessarily, like for me, I don't subscribe to any of these services. You know, it might seem like I perhaps don't really have much to say on this topic, but um, from the perspective of somebody that's not subscribing to them, there's a specific reason as to why I'm not. Uh, and that really revolves around the fact that I don't want to pay for EA or then perhaps maybe Ubisoft is going to, you know, come up with their service and then pay for Sony and then pay for Xbox. You know, I don't want to pay for that stuff separately. You know, I want to be able to have all of these things consolidated uh, in, in more of one platform or, or one service to where I can pick and choose what it is that I want. And then you have to manage separate applications. You have to load separate accounts. You know, you're, all that kind of stuff is just seems like a hassle to me, even with the value add. But I do believe that they're still they're they're here to stay. In what form? I'm not exactly sure. You know, two or three years from now, it might be a little bit different. Yeah. yeah so, good... oh, go ahead. Sorry, Bert. Oh, go ahead, Bert. No, um, I was just going to add a couple things, and it was simply that I I do think that um, this digital way of doing things might be the way of the future. I'm not sure if it'll be just a subscription thing, but as we as we've heard many times, the physical media is slowly going away, and the ratio is is changing over time. And I'd be curious to see if something like in like the Xbox Game Pass eventually starts to offer everything. Um, <clears throat> just the the newer games will be at full price, and then eventually we'll go into kind of like the vault, like it is in EA Access, and you can play some of the old games with the subscription fee in, in the month. So maybe it'll be absorbed into like an Xbox Live fee, and that might jump to, I don't know, $80 a month, or sorry, $80 a month, $80 a year, <laughs> um, and you get your Game Pass um, 
as well as you know your games that you can simply download digitally. There's also been the talk of eventually there'll be no physical media and there'll be simply a console that simply plays all your stuff, whether it be from the cloud or whatever the case is. So this might be some of the baby steps that developers um, and also console makers are starting to make from Microsoft, Sony. And on the PC realm, obviously a lot more people uh, go digital with PC than they do compared to the console world. So maybe it'll become a thing. I mean, Steam is, is you know, 100% digital um, and, you know, everything's just downloaded through there. I don't see them jumping to a subscription service anytime soon because they're, they're doing so well already. But, um, yeah, I personally don't have too many problems with it right now. The, the, I guess the plus and minus is you are playing older games. You're not playing the latest and greatest. And, you know, early adopters usually have to pay for that to get that as the latest and greatest. But some of these old games, um, I think, is going to be what's going to kind of fan the interest in it. So, for example, Game Pass, if they continue to have good games in their lineup of, you know, 100-plus games, people are going to keep using it. But if you start getting some older games that are less interesting, people will move away from it pretty easy. Yeah, I, uh, <clears throat> it really is interesting because you can't really compare one-to-one -to, -one to, to television. Um, but I think that, uh, as you said, that I think we're witnessing or living through the company starting to kind of uh, feel around or take those steps towards what will be a different future. And I think, you know, <clears throat> I, see, I see Ubisoft or, um, you know, Bethesda or maybe some of these other big companies looking at the model. You know, I don't know how lucrative EA Access has been for Electronic Arts, but it would be, you know, amazing to kind of see those uh, numbers, right? Because they, they don't release any details about what they're doing with EA Access that I've seen. But I have to think if they're making, uh, you know, if they're making hundreds of millions or they're making a decent profit on on EA Access, then you can be sure that Ubisoft and Bethesda and those other large publishers or um, development conglomerates, if you will, will uh, will be looking at that model too. But yeah, when, when, I'll go ahead, Jordan. They've got to be making money. I mean, in it would have to be gross mismanagement for them not to be making money on <laughs> EA access. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's just no possible way. And, and the reason why is because, you know, like I said, their, their catalog is already out there. Okay. So these games are already up. They're already available, you know, you know, for purchase, you know, uh, for these consumers to go out there and, and purchase these products. Uh, the only thing that they have to add is, is just the account management aspect, you know, of it. Uh, for the for the consumers and for the uh, for the accounts, uh, th if if they didn't have this, the only thing that these games would be doing is basically sitting on the server waiting for people to purchase them, rather than creating a subscription service where these people can go and download and play these games while while they you know belong to the subscription service. So either the way that I look at it is is that you know this is just a, a secondary revenue stream for these game publishers and a consistent one at that because they're getting paid every single month regardless of whether or not the consumer is going to be playing these games so they're able to make money on a game that's basically well past their peak earnings potential these games a, a peak game <clears throat> a game only really earns ridiculous amounts of money the first month that it's out it's actually the first two weeks before there's there's a a significant drop off uh in the number of people um that are are buying these games so they're they're putting out a you know five six seven ten month old game a year old game out there that's it can't be making hardly anything you know, in on the retail chain, and they're putting it online and say, "Hey, you know, if you pay us nine dollars a month, well, you can have access to this and some other games that nobody's buying either." <laughs> so I, it, it's it's it, they've they've got to be making money. Um, money is also one of the reasons as to why they're not on Steam. 
yeah. you know, they don't want, and I understand their, I understand their reasoning behind it. You know, they're in business to make money. You know, I think everybody really realizes it and understands that as well. But from a convenience factor, you know, I would, I really wish that it was on Steam. You know, I really wish that I could go on Steam and just basically play it from the Steam interface. No, I've got to download Origin. I've got to set up another account. You know, um, they've got their own little achievement system that absolutely nobody is ever going to really care about <laughs> on Origin. So, you know, I, I, I really wish that they were, they were able to, you know, compress these and, and put them together. But they're, they've, they've got to be making money on this. So I, I would see that other people are probably going to start trying to do this as well. And then that creates the concern I said earlier about having a fracturing of the market where you've got too many players all doing the same thing. Uh, and it gets very, cons uh, gets very cons um, uh, confusing for consumers to know what to buy, you know, from whom and for how long. It's almost like, um, you know what it's, it's like? It makes me feel like, <clears throat> it makes me feel like how I felt back in you know the 90s when you had these console wars and you had exclusives you know except it's you know, exclusives that are almost out of control it's, it's like trying to everybody's got their own little package of games that you want to play and if you want to play all these ones that you want to play you've got to subscribe across two three four five different services to get whatever it is that you want yeah Bert, you were going to say something yeah, I was going to say something um, regarding EA Access. And one thing that was interesting um, was if you remember when EA Access first came out, they actually approached Sony to have it on the PS4 as well. And Sony said no. Uh, they didn't want it on there because they didn't feel like charging customers an additional $5 a month. I remember that. Was that. And it kind of makes me wonder why. I mean, Sony's been doing some weird things recently anyways for you know, gamer bases in general. So I'm curious why they thought that internally was a bad idea because it, it, for people that do like EA Access, I've heard some pretty good reviews about it. Obviously, there's going to be people that are unhappy, but um, that was kind of interesting along those lines. And, and one thing that we have only barely touched on is I know when these subscription services were coming out, um, brick and mortar stores were kind of concerned about it um, on the used market. So like your GameStop's um, stuff like that, we're kind of like, oh crap, we got to deal with Game Pass when these guys can get this for you know free monthly or part of the subscription. Why are they going to go buy a Dead Rising three or other things? So that's something else to kind of consider in the situation. Mm. Yeah, and I think uh, <clears throat> yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think Jordan makes a very good point about the games. You know, uh, it's been discussed before, and I don't. I think people who follow the industry understand it. But your point about uh, the games making the overwhelming majority of their profits in those first few weeks—I mean, that's that's generally true. Um, with with, I think that's slightly changing um, with some games. You know, things like Destiny, the the games for service we've talked about, right, where they kind of get that long tail and they continue to make money, but. Um, I think you're right. You know, for games like EA Access is the perfect example where, um, you know, as Bert said, the older sports games land on there. And, uh, you know, after a year or so, we see Titanfall and Battlefield. But those are games that have already sold 15 and 20. I think Battlefield's over 20 million copies now. So it's just another way to make the service seem like a good value, whereas EA is just continuing to make money. And I, I don't know what the agreement there, to your point, Bert, I don't know what the agreement there is between uh, EA and Xbox. Because if you think about it, when you think about like a uh, game subscription service, you have to have the infrastructure to support it, right? But if you are an Xbox EA Access member, 
when you download that game or you get the license to play that game, you're still using your own hard drive space and you're still downloading it from the Microsoft servers. Um, it's exactly the same as if you had purchased purchased it digitally through Xbox. So I have to wonder if they're you know behind the behind that agreement if you know EA is really not uh, beyond just um, supporting the infrastructure to to kind of host the service. Uh, I don't think they're the ones actually hosting the uh, capability of uh, downloading those games. I don't know if that really makes sense, but I would think that's probably a cheaper prospect for EA to run. Uh, than is realized. Right, so you're saying that basically Xbox or Microsoft is just providing the, the, the front end, the, the, the purchase layer of it, and then tunneling to uh, EA servers in order for, you, for them to download from the EA servers. Yeah, or you know, you know, I don't, I don't know the fine details of it, sadly. But when you buy a game digitally on Xbox, you know, Microsoft uh, obviously has the agreement, just like Sony does, and um, to offer Madden 18, right? Mm -hmm. And then you buy that license to download it. I'm not sure where you're downloading that game from. I believe it's from the Microsoft server. So I think they're storing that. I think EA is just licensing that to Microsoft, right? So my point being that if uh, if Microsoft is the one hosting all of that information, and maybe that's what Sony didn't want to do, um, then it's an even better prospect for Electronic Arts, right? Because EA doesn't have to manage all of that. Right, right, right. Um, so, but anyway, um, so just to, to close out on this point, um, because Jordan, you touched on it, and Bert, you did as well. We have EA Access. You know, they are a publisher. Um, subscription service versus like Game Pass, which is a platform subscription service. Do you think? Uh, do you think we'll see it, or would you like to see it? Uh, something similar in the vein of EA Access from Ubisoft, Bethesda, Activision. You know the, those big publishers that have several games under their umbrella. Um, for me. Yes, but I, I say that cautiously just from the standpoint that I'm not one that subscribes to it and probably won't. But the reason why I say, <laughs> <laughs> but but there is a reason as to why I say yes. And, and, and that is because, you know, I, I do think that choice is always still a good thing. Yeah. You know, and flexibility is is always going to be a good thing. So, um, you know, if that's going to create uh, the ability for people to be able to access games, you know, using another method and provide some sense of value, you know, to them, you know, I'm, I'm, I really am all for it, regardless of whether or not I'm going to be the one that's going to be partaking of any of these services. Yeah, fair point. Bert, any comment on that? Would you support something from uh, Ubisoft, Bethesda, et cetera? Yeah, so I, I actually think that would be good from a competition standpoint and obviously leaving it up to the consumer to choose who they want to go with. So let's say someone's not a big Bethesda fan, they can simply ignore Bethesda. If someone's a big, I don't know, EA fan and they want to stick with all the sports games because they're sports gamers and they can stick with EA. So I think competition is a good thing. I think that would improve services in many different realms. So maybe uh, trials would change between the two. Um, maybe you can pre-order and get cheaper prices between one over the other and then eventually we'll get to kind of like a a ceiling of what the best of the services are. So I think that would be a great idea. Um, I don't see why that wouldn't be a bad idea. Same time. I'm curious. That's if that's why we're seeing a lack of those types of uh, software titles on um, 
Xbox Game Pass. You know, we don't see Fallout 4 there, and that's been out for a long time. We don't see a lot of the other things. So that's probably why we're not seeing a lot of that stuff coming yet. But, you know, I think that would be a great idea, personally. And, and just to, you know, uh, you know, roll in with that, I, I also want to say that, you know, from the from the price point standpoint, if if I were... If, if, if companies were to come up with all these different services, I'm trying to think of as a way in which, how would I use that? If, if, is there a way that I would somehow use all of these services? And to be quite honest with you, based upon my patterns and the way that I play games, I wouldn't be doing annual subscriptions. I'd be doing month to month. And what I would be doing is, is if there's games that I'm going to play across all of these platforms, like I might want to play Assassin's Creed, you know, and, and I don't know. Uh, an EA sports game, yeah, right. But anyway, you know, I, 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 <laughs> I, I got to get you a EA sports game and Call of Duty subscription service. That's what I got to get you. I'm, I'm going to have all these games here that I'm not going to play. But um, <laughs> you know, I would be doing month to month, and what I would essentially do is is I would get a month subscription for Ubisoft, play the game that I want to play on Ubisoft, and then stop paying for it, and then I'd switch to EA. To play what it is that I want, you know, to do on EA. So I could, I could see the only way that I could see me personally using one of these services is if I had the flexibility with which to juggle them um, in a fashion that I'm going to be able to get what it is that I want. And I would say that the the extra cost that I'm paying in the month to month is I'm getting back in in flexibility. Yeah, I think. Um... <clears throat> so I know in some of our big casts, we've kind of talked about that. In fact, I think either, I don't know, I, th I think it may be last one, but Bird and I talked about how Titanfall 2 had been added to EA Access, right? And that if you hadn't played that campaign, it's actually an excellent campaign. And you can get a month of EA Access for $4.99. So to your point, Jordan, you could get a month of you know EA Access right now and play Titanfall 2's campaign and Battlefield 1's campaign, for that matter. Play them both in the course of that month, and then unsubscribe, and you spend out. five bucks to play both. Yep. Yeah. So that's that's <clears throat> that's viable, and I think to both your points around, if we had more choice and had these from every publisher, you could do that. Just as you said, you kind of jump and just play the games. Like for me, Assassin's Creed isn't a franchise as we've talked about that I follow too heavily, but you know, may, Origins I think looks really good, and maybe I don't buy it on day one, but. Next year, you know, I'd be open to spending some money to uh, subscribe and play that for a month, and then if I, if I'm done with it, I'm done with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, just in talking about this, that 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 you know, in us discussing this, that has provided me some somewhat of an incentive to maybe even you know look at some of these services sometime in the future. There you go. And Jordan heard Battlefield and Titanfall for five bucks, and he's like, I'm in. <laughs> and elect electronic arts is just smiling behind the scenes <laughs> yeah um, one thing that i was thinking was is, um, is the subscription services for these developers in general and i think demos go a long way so if there's a big title uh, a good one coming up would be destiny 2 so i'm i'm one of the, yeah. the few i guess that's not very excited about destiny um but you know that's going to be something coming from activision as well as your call of duties but if they had a subscription service i'd love to check it out for five to ten hours and see if i like it or not and then they still would get the money from me or whatever and still i maybe might go out and buy the full copy i may not so i think that stuff's important especially with games that have long legs like destiny um or something where you're going to play that for you know we know some people have played destiny one for 2,000 hours, and I'm not exaggerating. Yeah. But, um, you know, someone can easily check it out, fall in love with the game, and go buy it. So I don't know if I people will figure to, it out. I think they need to take a playbook from their sister company, Blizzard. You know, yeah. um, 
I'm I'm like one of the last people on the planet to actually download, purchase, and download Diablo three. Um, <laughs> you know, but I I did it this past week. You know, and you know a, a buddy of mine, you know, finally convinced me, and I was running through you know some of the stuff. But they've got a, a very good thing where you know, and this is for their their StarCraft games. This is for their World of Warcraft games. This is for Diablo, where you have the ability to you know play limited characters you know, up to a certain point of, of the game for free, yep. you know, and, you know, because they're looking at it from the standpoint, like you said, it's a game with long legs. You know, if you're going to purchase a, a, you know, a destiny, you're not going to play that for, you, you know, 10, 15 hours and then put the game down. You know, that game is going to require hundreds of hours of, of, of time and investment for you to get the most out of the game. So the assumptions that I would be making if I were in EA or in Activision shoes would be like, okay, well, you know, let's 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 give these guys, you know, a good, you know, five to ten hour playing experience, and and, and you know, allow them to get you know wrapped up into it and stuff like that. You know, you know, the, the first hit is free, you know, and and hopefully, you know, you know, they'll you know purchase the game, and you know, then we've got a you know a person that has purchased you know all that and is is, is invested in the game and buys the DLC. Yeah, that's um, <clears throat> that's exactly right, and I think that works in EA's favor too, because all of the sports games are that way. You don't play one of those sports games for five or ten hours. You know, you just don't. Oh, yeah. You play it over the course of a season. Battlefield One, obviously, you're playing for the multiplayer. Most people do, and you play that for hundreds of hours. Titanfall's the same way. So, it's definitely a way to hook people. Uh, the re- <laughs> I don't know if you saw me, Bert, laughing when you started talking about uh, trials. I started laughing because, sure enough. Um, I had the trial for Mass Effect Andromeda, and I don't want to bring that up again on our conversation here. Oh, goodness. <laughs> but uh, that's exactly what uh, caused me not to buy the game. Um, because, as you know, we were highly anticipating it, and uh, I, I played that 10-hour trial for EA Access, and uh, I didn't end up buying it. So I, I guess it could hurt in a way, but I think for the most part, it's a positive thing, right? So. Yeah, but I think that could be something that could be important to where developers put more quality in their games if people are demoing them and then they could say, hey, well, we made a crap product or something. But to your point, I mean, one of the things about Mass Effect Andromeda is that the first two to three hours are not very good from a yeah. writing standpoint or whatever. But the second you get over that hump, the game really opens up. And I think in review scores and stuff, you really see a lot of people that only played those few hours and then made judgments on the entire game like that from a reviewer standpoint. And I think that hurt the game. So I think next time we see a Mass Effect, if we ever do see one, the game will be good from the start, not have a horrible <laughs> starting uh, point of the game. Well, interestingly um, enough, when you say that it was from the reviewers, I actually don't think that it was the reviewers that did most of the damage. I think that sure. it, it was the it was the people, you know, like Ains who were, you know, playing. <laughs> <laughs> don't put Mass Effect and drama on me. That's not on me. <laughs> who, who were then jumping on the internet. <laughs> and posting videos on 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 YouTube, you know, talking about how terrible this game was in the first, you know, you know, one to two hours, and then it it went viral and it just killed it. Yeah. Well, the thing where you where I noticed it was when you watch video reviews um, of you know your big sites, and I'm not going to name them, but all the footage that they captured for that game are in is in the first world of the entire game. Um, there's maybe the second planet that you can go to, but you really notice it when you when you see the AI that they're fighting and the NPCs and stuff. Um, and unfortunately, the bad facial animations were with a few of the main characters that are 
NPCs that you don't actually play with. So I'm not going to harp on it too long. There's a lot of videos about it. <laughs> I've, I've talked about making my own video with screen captures from the rest of the game, and that may come later on. But um, to your point, I think demos are important. I think uh, they'll capture some people and make other people go away. But at the same time, that could really improve developers' quality of the end product that they have. Especially so. after the game is established. Correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah so <laughs> freaking Andromeda. <laughs> it's, no. it's a gift that keeps on every, giving. Every conversation. It's trying to segue away track. from it and then you just bring it right back. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, going back to the subscription service, no, but I can say as an EAXS member that the game trial portion has been uh, uh, one of the big benefits. Like it's one of the reasons I do subscribe to EAXS is the trials. And I think. Um, a lot of people have made the point recently that, uh, and you just did again, Bert, that um, because the market is so crowded nowadays, because there's so many games releasing on a weekly basis, a lot of games very quickly get overlooked. And a game trial can actually help them, right? If you if you get a, some people playing it and they say, hey, I don't know if you noticed this game, but it's actually pretty good, um, that, that helps as well. So to your point, I think developers just need to, or, or these publishers who are using these services, need to make sure their games are well prepared for those trials and it can be a positive thing. So. Yeah, and one, one last thing that I want to mention on it is that I think the days <laughs> of the standard MSRP for games, like so they've evolved over time. You know, you look back at Super Nintendo, PlayStation, where, we, where we've gone. Um, I guess the standard MSRP for a game today is $59.99. I think eventually that is going to be changing quite a bit because I think as we move to digital, they're going to have a hard time still saying that a game is $59.99. And this is not including inflation, so obviously we'll hit inflation eventually with games, but I think games may come closer to $49.99 if they become fully digital. You don't have to worry about boxes. You don't have to worry about discs anymore. And I think with subscription services, I think this might be something that they might be embracing as well. So to your point earlier, this might be a big experiment time for digital stuff in general. And we'll see if it ends up being something that gets picked up with new games and they get added to Game Pass or PS Now or whatever it is in the future. But it could be. I, I think we're eventually going to become digital only, which is unfortunate since we're all kind of collectors here. No. Yeah. Stop, I'm, stop I'm gonna, talking about digital only. I don't like this future you're painting. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to, you know, I, I'm skeptical of that. Um, ah. uh, well, let me be specific as to what it is that I'm skeptical of. I'm skeptical that the prices of games are going to go down across the board by 10 bucks. Oh, yeah. And the main reason why is, is because, you know, the market, yeah, you know, the market will only price something as to what the market will, will bear. And people are already used to paying that much money for uh the current games right now i've never seen i i can't think of any product you know that has gone down in price any consumable product that has gone down in price in in that way you know even I've, i always think back you know to the example of you know back in the day when there were tape cassettes you know <laughs> you know you know you had to buy a tape cassette you know to, to buy an i mean you know a tape cassette i was like you know 15 bucks you know, and then, you know, tape cassettes were very, very expensive to make. Well, then they came out with CDs. Okay. And everybody was talking about how much more cheap CDs were. You can make, you know, hundreds of them for pennies on the dollar. Da, 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 da. To make a tape cassette, you know, I think those things were like $3 a cassette or something like 2 to $3 a cassette. It was, it was insanely expensive to make those things. But then when they made the CDs, the price of music did not change. The price of music actually didn't change, you know, you know, realistically until digital distribution came out 
But even then, it took Apple to actually change the paradigm for what people are willing to, to pay for music by offering the ability to buy single songs instead of having to buy the, the, the entire right. album. So there was a paradigm shift there in, in, in changing the way of how people bought music. So if the price of, of games were to go down by, by $10, something pretty big would have to happen outside of of just digital distribution to make it happen, if that makes sense. Right. The same thing actually happened with video games as well, with going from game cartridges to CDs. The price of games didn't change. They did not go down, even though, you know, game companies were, you know, and publishers were making ridiculously some, you know, more money. They pocketed that money and that money went to their investors and, and their shareholders. So I'm, I'm thinking that, you know, their justification for continuing to have those games at that price is going to be really based upon them saying, well, you know what, we're providing more value or these games are larger or we're adding more features to it. And that's what's allowing us to be able to justify the cost of these games because these people are still buying them at, at, at you know, 60 bucks. $60 yeah, and I only have one response on it, Jordan, and it's it's not really a, a, a disagreement with you. It's more of just a, something that I've been brainstorming lately, and it's I think we're getting to a point in the gaming industry where there's just so many games that, and this is why I said the comment of something potentially lowering, that a lot of people don't want to pay the $60 anymore because there's just so many games on the market these days. If you look at the different genres, if you look back in the day, let's say 10 years ago, you would eventually wait for that one or two FPS game that was coming out and you would buy only that in the fall and nothing else. You would wait for that one or two racing game that would come out, maybe a third party or third person story based game and you would wait for all that. And if you remember back in the day, there was the summer drought period or the fall drought period or whatever the case is. Well, now we have games coming out in every single season. We have five to 10 games in each genre and it's so hard to pick which one you want to get. So I'm, just curious, and it's more of just like something like I said, it's just brainstorming of what developers are going to do to combat that. A good example right now is the shooting genre. I mean, we've seen Lawbreakers come out. We've seen, it's you know, um, Overwatch still being a big game. We saw Battleborn kind of flop, and it wasn't a bad game. There's just so many games in certain genres that I'm curious if developers will turn to the free-to-play, and then you have to pay for skins or something, or if games will be cheaper, kind of like Hellblade is now, or it's still a triple-A experience, but it's a shorter game, so people want to get back on that versus trying to compete with the big boys like Overwatch or Battlefield or Call of Duty, because there's still a lot of great games that are getting ignored these days, because there's just so much coming out of different times of the year, and I see developers even struggling to even think about when am I going to launch my game? Am I going to launch in the fall where I have to deal with Battlefield or Battlefront or Call of Duty? Or do I wait for the spring? But now the spring is when all the, the story-based games are coming out. Or do I wait for the summer? But the summer is now becoming this crowded time to launch a game as well. So I think developers are going to get um, kind of creative in general. I don't know which way that's going to route. It may not be subscription and cheaper games. But I, I think we are going to start seeing some creativeness coming from developers in general. Well, believe it or not, though, they're actually already doing it. You just yeah. It's just hidden. Okay, and how they're doing it is, I mean, I don't know about you, but when's the last time you actually played full price for a launch title? 
So I, it depends if it's, if it's a pre-order, you know, we take advantage of the Amazon deals that are less than $59.99. So you take there advantage you of that. But if you, if you're a pre-order person from like a GameStop, they don't really give any incentives. Or if you go to Walmart or Best Buy, you take advantage of their rewards program. So I see that, but it, I'm curious to see if Amazon's taking the hit for that, or if they are simply paying less for that retail and then making less back in profit. So you pre-order more things in the future. So I don't know that price model very well. That's something I'm very ignorant on. So I wouldn't have yeah. anything else to comment on that yeah yeah i don't want to derail the conversation so i'll leave it at there <laughs> we, we were starting to move we were getting yeah, yeah away, you guys so, have yeah. kind of moved moved <laughs> off a little bit but uh i was gonna say tying that back to subscription services yeah. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> um i mean it, it is all relevant right it is part of the conversation and i think what subscription services are attempting to do is to kind of curate their games into a uh into a single avenue um for players that you guys were just discussing so to your point bert um it's not it's actually right you're saying uh developers are are all these games and when they release but it's it's more the publishers right is kind of what we're talking about because it's the publishers who are the financial backing and they're the ones who are going to make the financial decisions um for the majority of these games And, and so I think that's why something like EA Access came about as it did, because EA is as big as they are, and they're, you know, all the points we've already talked about allows them to curate their catalog uh, in a in a direct offering where they can continue to make money off of the games that people don't buy at launch. So, I, I think that everything you guys just touched on there, I think, does uh, kind of tie into the fact that I th- I personally think we'll see. Uh, more of these coming. I think Ubisoft is is going to be there sometime in the future. Um, it wouldn't surprise me to see Bethesda or Activision, like we already said. And Activision, is, as Jordan commented, already kind of does some of that on the PC side anyway. Um, so. Yeah. One of the funny things is I would actually probably get the Ubisoft uh, subscription just to play Assassin's Creed when it's actually fixed and not at launch. So, <laughs> so, hey, oh, I got, oh, a, I got a copy of Unity. I'll sell you for $1.30 if you want it. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> but, but Ubisoft has like this history of buggy games at launch and I, I actually still have get to play Watch Dogs 2 um, I probably can go back to a couple of the other games that have come out um, The Division, you know I hear that's a whole different game now and if that was on a subscription service and it was in the vault I guess as we call it or free to play now I would pick that up and probably go back and play it if I didn't like it at launch so that might be something to think about in general what you were alluding to i mean you're playing older software but maybe it's patched and golden now it might be the game to play now so i, I would do that easily yeah i think uh, you know watchdogs 2 is a perfect example for ubisoft and for bethesda Dishonored 2 is a perfect example right because i think even just earlier today you and i were saying that we need to pick up Dishonored 2 still yeah. and uh i'm going on vacation and when i come back august 29th will have hit which is uh this suddenly it's this massive release date for titles which you guys were just touching on so i'm coming back to something like four games new games waiting for me um so again, I'm waiting to buy Dishonored 2, but if it was on a subscription service that I subscribe to, I'd probably be playing it tonight. So yeah, I mean, yep. I think that's all all part of the valid conversation there. Yeah, um, I have that in my Steam vault. <laughs> <laughs> so let, let's do this then. So let me, let me uh, before we kind of ask the closing question, um, we've touched on a number of these different services and, and what we do and don't like about them and what we think about the publishers at length now. Um, so there are some te- 
technical differences between the, the services, right? So Game Pass, as we said, is a download service. So that requires more storage space. So if you have an Xbox that's a <clears throat> launch Xbox One with a 500 gigabyte hard drive and you don't have an external drive or any of those updated ones, then storage space can become an issue, especially with games like Halo 5, which are like 100 gigs now, right? It takes up like a 30 or hard drive with one game. Um, <clears throat> and then you have things like PS Now, which are uh, streaming services. So you're playing in real time, but you're using bandwidth. So if you are, um, you know, in a location where your broadband uh, connectivity is, is lower or you're in another country where, you know, they have uh, either data limits or, um, you know, you just have lower speeds, you may get a uh, pixelated screen, you may get lag, you may get other issues with, uh, with trying to play the game. So from your guys' perspective, uh, and uh, sorry, let me jump on uh, or touch on Jump as well. So Jump is kind of unique uh, from an indie service in that they're going to offer an application that you download on your PC, but then you play the games through that application using something called HyperJump technology is how they're phrasing it. Um, like uh, we kind of discussed going into this, the fine details of that they haven't discussed, but it, it really logically speaking, has to be either downloaded or streaming. So it sounds like a different form of streaming, which has like the low latency, but uh, we'll see that as it comes into production. But what I was going to ask you guys is, um, you know, from your perspective personally, do you prefer the download side of it where you uh, EA access game now, uh, game pass, excuse me, where you download the full title as if you own it digitally, or do you like something, prefer something like PS now on your PC or PlayStation where you can uh, stream the games? I prefer download um, for multiple reasons. Uh, I mean, even just today, uh, you know, I was having difficulty connecting, uh, you know, to this chat, you know, which should at this point in time be mundane. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I should not have had a problem in doing that. Uh, there's been a number of high profile issues with several games uh, that, you know, released, you know, basically like online only, they weren't streaming, but they were online only to the point where you were not able to play the game unless you had an internet connection and it killed the game. Um, so, and even when you go and you look at uh, services like Netflix and Hulu uh, and Amazon, uh, you know, Prime Video, these services are allowing you to download you know, these movies you know, to whatever device it is that you're utilizing so that you can watch it just in case, you know, you're, you know, mobile at the time uh, right. and, you know, you don't have, uh, you know, a, a very good connection or you only have access to somebody's broadband, you know, over a certain period of time of the day. So for me, um, I like downloads. I prefer to continue to download, you know, uh, my games. I don't see me being interested at all in, in streaming, streaming my games. Yeah, I'm I'm without a doubt a download person, um, mainly because I, I want the the greatest experience you can get from whatever type of software you're playing um, at that moment. And if if you're like me, who sometimes my wife will play downstairs or upstairs on on her console, um, and or maybe watching a movie or whatever the case is, and if that's going to affect the bandwidth and my experience in gaming on a streaming service, um, I'm really not interested in that whatsoever. And then there's times when um, maybe we have multiple people at the house and we're playing a game and they're all connected to the Wi-Fi network or something that's going affect bandwidth and so I may be getting lag um, if it's one thing that bothers me a lot it's lag um, whether it be controller input lag or just lag from 
you know, people jumping around the screen if you're playing something multiplayer based. So I'm always going to be the, uh, let me download it all together. Now, with that being said, I don't have any issues geographically with where I'm at um, with bandwidth. I, I do get decent speed down. I wish I had a little faster, but I don't have any caps that I have to deal with. And I know some people are kind of affected by that. So for them, I would be curious to see what other people prefer. Yeah, I think uh, I that makes three of us then because I completely agree with you guys. Um, <clears throat> you know, I'm kind of spoiled. I'm, I'm in the central U.S. I've got Google Fiber. I've got no data caps, and I've got, you know, 1,000 megabyte download speed. So I, I don't have any issues wow. with streaming, um, but I still prefer greatly downloads. I don't know if that's just being a product of a, a slightly older generation. You know, I still think about plugging in a cartridge and having no latency whatsoever between controller and no loading times and... You know, I miss those days in that sense. But uh, one of the other aspects to your to your points is, you know, for me, I've taken my console. I usually take my console when I travel and I travel for work, um, you know, a few times a year. I travel personal a few times a year. And so it's it's not uncommon for me to kind of have some games digitally on my console that I take with me. And then just if I'm in a hotel somewhere that has terrible bandwidth, right, like two megabyte speed. Um, the only thing I have to do is log in as myself on Xbox Live, which requires nearly zero bandwidth, um, but I can still play all my games. So I wouldn't be able to stream, you know, remotely like that uh, reliably. So I, I just think downloading is the much better option. And it, I don't know, um, you know, as bandwidth uh, expands, meaning it, it increases across uh, not only the U.S., right, but across the world, I don't know if streaming will become more popular or just less popular because download is still reliable over time and people have had bad experiences with it. I don't really know, but it'd be interesting specifically like in PS Now's case to see if that, uh, if they make any changes to that or, um, or what they do in the future. Cause to your other point, Bert is like PS Now, when you do stream a game, even if you have my bandwidth um, where I have no issues with it, the max I can stream it at is 720p, right? Because their servers, they can't, reliably stream a 1080p picture and we won't even touch on 4k because streaming 4k takes a, a massive amount of bandwidth that the majority of the population doesn't have so yep. um yeah we'll see how that develops but we'll move on to the uh kind of the final uh main question i wanted to discuss with you guys and that is everything we've talked about are all the the good and the bad of uh downloading streaming game subscriptions publishers developers if you ideally say take away any of the restrictions, forget about storage, forget about bandwidth, forget about um, you know all those restrictions, and forget about all the developers having different licenses and different platforms, if you could create your ideal scenario uh, for a subscription service where you would pay a certain amount and get what have you, what would that look like? You guys uh, got some opinions or thoughts on on what that would look like? Uh. I do. Well, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, really, I about the only thing, the only ideal way that I can think of it is based upon something that you know I've already seen that I feel works seamlessly, and that would be something similar to Netflix. You know, uh, I log into Netflix, I see what it is that I want. You know, I click on it, I can download it, I can take it with me and play it. It's very convenient. It rarely if ever you know like messes up they have a, a very wide selection of of things and genres that i can can view so you know my my, my for me personally my only uh, reference would be you know some type of streaming service that works very well right now that that, that would be a netflix type um type arrangement yeah and 
<clears throat> before you um, go with yours, Bert, I was just going to comment on that. So the you know the unique thing about Netflix, and especially as as we've seen over the past couple years in particular, is that after they built that core base and they got the technology working properly and they got people used to the streaming and all those things, they've now invested you know billions and billions of dollars in unique content, right? Exclusives. So you have a whole ton of Netflix originals, which people now that they've gotten used to Netflix just consider new TV. You know, it's just a new TV mm -hmm. show to them. And so Netflix has become almost this requirement uh, for people at home who watch entertainment. And um, I think that's where the game subscription services are too young yet, right? They're, they're not formed and developed enough to where we're seeing new releases launch on a subscription service. Mm -hmm. um, and we've kind of touched on that, but I, I know uh, people like Phil Spencer, uh, you know, over Microsoft for Game Pass has commented on that, that he he himself has said that he hopes to see a future where games will launch on things like Game Pass or subscription services. So mm. it'll be interesting. Now, I, I will make one uh, while you're talking. I thought of one thing as well. If there was one thing that I really wish could possibly happen uh, in these subscription services, it would be that. I would love to see the console wall finally be broken to where if you, it doesn't matter what console you like, you can still play online with whoever it is that you want, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and cross, cross play. Right. Right. And I, and I, and I, the reason why I think that's important, if I go and I, you know, am, am watching Netflix, I can watch it on my Samsung TV. I can watch it on you know my yep. my iphone you know i could you know watch it on an android you know device you know it, it's not gonna matter i can watch it and consume it on on any one of those devices so many of these games they're the same game okay yeah, you know we're, we're still you know doing this whole you know hardware battle thing when a lot of these things are really nothing more than glorified pcs you know it's i think that the this generation especially xbox and playstation have really kind of somewhat struggled, you know, to try to say, well, you know, what's different between you and a, and a PC? Well, we're just a faster, more efficient PC specifically to run games and certain applications. Okay, fine. That's great. But if that's the case, we all know that it's very easy for them to allow cross-play between these devices and, yeah. and, and they won't do it. So in a, in a perfect world, if, if I was, you know, part of one of these, one of these things, one of the things that I would love to see in one of these streaming services would be for the ability to be able to cross play no matter what platform that you're on. Yeah. I, sorry, Bert. I feel like we've gone back and forth here. Just real quick on that. I, I think, I think you touched on a direction that we are heading and it's a slow rate and a slow rate of burn. And I think there's a lot of old thinking or you know methodology with the consoles that you touched on there that is slowly very slowly starting to erode um because you know we are starting to see microsoft push crossplay, and i think this is a whole nother topic i don't want to take us off track again but i i think that's because to your point right the future should look like where you can play games on your platform of choice and the games are the same i mean 95 percent of the games are the same now as you said across each platform. Um, but you should be able to play that and pick your platform based on either, you know, the features that platform offers or the price or how it runs those games, not the games themselves and who you can play with. So I, I think we're, uh, I think we're slowly getting there. It's going to be interesting to see. There's some, um, there's some resistance there, especially as we've talked about, you know, especially on the Sony side, on there's Sony a lot side, of resistance yeah. to that. 
Um, I don't know if, if they'll kind of cave in that in the future or what next generation looks like, but it'll be interesting to see. But yeah, good point. Sorry, Burp. Please go ahead. You ready for this genius idea, guys? I'm waiting. <laughs> <laughs> Do I need to buy stock now? <laughs> the day I can play everything on my Nintendo Switch. That's all I want. No, all right, we're, we're done here. We're done here. <laughs> <laughs> so so in, in reality, since Nintendo doesn't have anything, um, I, I think it would be I think <laughs> I think it would be interesting to buy a console, whether it be Sony, Microsoft, or even a PC. Um, well, let me stick with home consoles first, but you buy your console and you end up paying a uh, hundred to one hundred and twenty dollars a year, and you get pretty much uh, a vault or an Xbox game pass that covers all publishers um, and you can kind of get everything you need. Um, but what, what the difference would be is if you want to buy a new release, you would pay a fee of like thirty to forty dollars. And then once those uh, games get older, six months a year down the road, you get it in the vault for free. So if you want to be a new adopter, um, you pay that $30, $40. You're still paying, keep in mind, the $120 fee. So, um, you know, you pay that on a yearly basis and you kind of get all the software you need. Um, and you would download it. I would definitely stay away from the streaming. I think my console, my perfect console would be somewhere in the four terabyte size for a hard drive so you can get as many games as you want. Um, and it doesn't matter if it was Sony or Microsoft. I wouldn't do either one of those. But so keep in mind, publishers are still getting paid because there's going to be many people. So your average gamer, um, not your hardcore gamer, is only going to have two to three, maybe four pieces of software in their actual uh, collection, whereas your hardcore gamers are going to have, you know, 20, 30, and they would take advantage of it as well. So publishers would still get paid, and they would even get paid an additional amount for the people that never end up buying that new release. And then they would still be playing that old game that they would have that is now free in the vault, and that may make them play the sequel down the road. So there's a lot of different things that could really happen from it. But I'm just being creative about something would be my dream console or the, the dream way that it would be in the future. And in my opinion, that may work. But, you know, who knows? It might be something creative. Yeah, so you're taking the <clears throat> excuse me, you're taking the stand of, you know, take EA access as it exists today and expand it across all publishers for a platform at a greater cost so that you could play all games, right? In that same kind Correct. of format. Um I, I'm honestly <laughs> I'm not trying to one up you here. Uh but what I was thinking is, um, and I actually like that idea. I hadn't considered that uh paying something like a hundred bucks or hundred and fifty bucks and being able to get new releases at say a 50% discount rather than 10, right? Um, <clears throat> and then getting things in the vault sooner, maybe six months post-release or something. So I really like that idea as well. I think if I'm thinking pie in the sky uh, in the future, what I would ideally want is to say, um, say the average person, I, I haven't looked at these figures lately, but say the average person buys five games a year, that equates to what, $300 in retail MSRP cost, right? For full games. Um, I would like to see a day where I buy the Xbox One X and I pay $300 a year or $350 a year. It sounds like a lot, I realize. Um, but what I get for that is any single game that releases on the Xbox One X or Xbox One platform or PlayStation platform, whatever it is, I can play on day one as if I had bought it digitally. Um, you know, so you, you never buy a standalone game again. You just pay three, four hundred dollars, whatever it is annually, a high annual fee, but you play every new game as soon as it releases, as much as you want, as if you own it. It doesn't matter what publisher, every single game that's on the platform that you can buy from the store, as you would any other game, you can download and install. And wow. I would do, I would do that in a heartbeat. I would I would very quickly spend three or four hundred dollars annually because I, I spend 
thousands now <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> on, on games. So take the collector's editions aside, right? That I buy for certain games, but I would easily pay three or four hundred dollars to uh, just be able to play any game I want on day one. Not a bad idea. So I think, honestly, I think in an ideal world, if we're even going further, we have all of those options we just said. You know, you yeah. have publisher services, you have the service you spoke of, Bert, where it's kind of like that that middle ground, uh, and then you have the all up, you know, full tilt, whatever, by play any game you want as soon as it releases. Not bad. We'll see what happens. <laughs> you know, the one thing <laughs> and that we're I only like thirty about... years away from that happening, so you know. <clears throat> the one thing that I'll miss about it all, um, and you know nothing that can really be done about it. You can't stop progress. But one thing I think I'll miss will be the people that over the years have collected all these tangible games and have a game collection. It's just that, not the same. You're, you're talking to two of them right now. Yeah, I, I'm not one of those, <laughs> but you know, I, I do really have an appreciation um, of seeing you know, somebody that you know, throughout the years has been able to collect like the physical aspects of these games and these systems, and they have that collection in their house, you know, like a trophy wall. And, you know, that this is sort of the beginning of the end of that <laughs> because Stop it's not it. really going to be the same, you know, of having <laughs> a huge, you know, gigantic digital library of, of these games. It's not something that you can really show up. I, I, I don't know how many, I've, I've got like a ton of Steam games you know, in my, in my library right now, it's like, you know, somewhere around 150 Steam games. But, you know, it doesn't really mean anything. It's just a list. You know, it's not yeah, something that, that adorns my wall. That's a, you know, and that's a whole separate conversation, too, is around digital licensing, which, you know, I'm, I'm not a fan of. I don't buy digital unless I generally have to. And I think Bert's the same way because we talk about this all the time. Um I much prefer hard copies. I you said like trophy wall. I'm literally staring across the room at a second master system box and a whole bunch of old games. Um and I just I'm I'm currently actually trying to recollect some of the stuff I sold off over the years which just drives me mad thinking about it. Um but yeah, I I still to this day buy physical and it will be a very very sad day um when things go more digital than they are now. Because I'm going to take the choice away from you. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, like uh, we were talking earlier, um, early in the week about Hellblade for PlayStation 4. So I I bought Hellblade. I platinum it. I'm writing a review for it right now. And it drives me absolutely nuts that I couldn't buy a physical copy of that game. They're just not making it. Mm. Um, so it's, it, you know, it just is what it is. But I agree with you. You know, 20 years down the line, you know, it'd be cool to just pull Hellblade off the shelf and, and play it. I don't want to dig up a hard drive somewhere and plug it in and you know it just it's not the same experience in my opinion and i'm sure bird you uh have some thoughts or echo those sentiments as well excuse me yeah i'll, I'll be really quick since we're getting along on time um <laughs> yeah I, I'm, I'm hoping that the the day that the the physical doesn't go away and we do subscription only even though that's kind of the topic is not one that comes i, I hope that there's that choice and kind of a funny thing that we had just pre-ordered Night Trap, the physical copy of it. <laughs> yeah. And I, a lot of those sites that are creating physical copies of games that only release digital are making a lot of money. Um, and they are selling out like crazy. Um, yeah. And all they do is they get the rights from whoever it is, the publisher, the developer, and they put it on a disc and they make it look exactly like 
the Xbox One or the PlayStation disc, and it is obviously not an official licensed product in some in some types. Um, but they include a book, uh, like the old school instruction manuals. They include a case and a disc, and um, they limit them to what three, five thousand copies, and they sell mm-hmm. out in minutes. Um, so I'd be interested to see if that's what the future turns into. Uh, maybe they'll make a physical Hellblade release in the next six months or so. I mean, that will sell out like crazy. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, it's absolutely absurd when you when you put it that way, which is all true. Um, that we've gotten to a place where digital has started to take over and now we've got third-party companies publishing physical again. Because <laughs> it, doesn't, it just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Hey, that, that happens with vinyls too, believe it or not. There's physical vinyls of people that released a song that was digital only. So they are selling well too. So, <laughs> yeah, what's old is new. Yeah, yeah. exactly right, <laughs> exactly. All right, guys. Well, I think we had a good conversation. We kind of covered our thoughts on, uh, you know, all up and some extra thoughts for everyone listening as well, as we always do. Um, So I just want to say to everyone listening, you know, thank you as always. It's been a good conversation. Uh, Please let us know if uh, you enjoyed the conversation. If you have any comments, obviously, please let us know as well. And uh, if you like what you're hearing, as always, subscribe and, um, and like us. And we appreciate all the feedback we get. So thank you very much. Guys, anything you want to close out with? I'm good. Had a great time. Only by physical. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks again. This has been another season gaming conversation. You guys take care.